0: Welcome to the Theology Podcast. It's great to have you with us again, and uh, we are on a Zoom call because here in Connecticut, we had about, I guess, about 12 inches in some places, eight in others. Uh, we had a lot of snow, so we all just wanted to stay home. So we decided, hey, we've got the technology. Let's just stay in the house and uh, watch other people try to struggle and get places, and we'll just stay at home and have our nice uh, nice show uh, in our comfy and our comfy clothes and our comfy houses will be comfortable. Anyway.
1: Except for Tom, who decided to be in a stable. Yeah, that's right. right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I somehow, <laughs>
2: somehow ended up here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, for those who are listening and can't see the recording, Tom has some, uh, some art behind him. He's got an icon, I believe, of the nativity. And uh, it's just uh, you, you don't have any, uh, an artist or, or anything that you can tell us about, do you, Tom?
2: I I I have I don't have it on memory. I have it along with the photo that I saved, but maybe I could tag that on to the uh, you know the the show um, yeah. for people to kind of c- to catch it. But yeah, it's the, sh- the adoration of the shepherds. Gotcha. Um, so they're they're coming to uh, share with the, the holy family, if you will, the um, the message that they received. And so, well,
0: that's uh, it's timely. I'm actually preaching on Sunday uh, on that text from Luke chapter 2, so it, it works. Nice. It works. Hey, anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, we never want to assume anything. This may be the first time you've tuned into the podcast, and, uh, and so we ought to introduce ourselves. I'm, I'm C.R. Wiley. I'm a pastor, and I've taught philosophy to undergraduates in the Boston area. I, I was... Uh, faculty with the school there years ago and I've been a real estate investor and a home contractor and I've written some books and stuff. Anyway, enough about me. How about you, Glenn?
1: I'm Glenn Sunshine. I'm a professor of history at Central Connecticut State University. I'm a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview.
0: All right, and you have a book that uh, has been out a little while, Slaying Leviathan, and it's still selling pretty crisply, I, I, I noticed, and so congratulations for that. And everybody who listens to the podcast must buy one today. And then a second one to give to a friend.
1: <laughs> yes, they make great stocking stuffers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, great. And now
2: Tom. Uh, Tom Price, a systematic theologian and Christian ethicist, teaching both at uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary and other
0: places. All right. Well, it's, it's, it's Tom's show today, but before uh he takes uh takes us away into the subject of the day. I want to let folks know about a couple things. We have some great news. We received a a gift. We have a pledge that's a pretty has it's it's pretty significant pledge. It's going to allow us to do a number of things. One of those things is it's going to underwrite uh some time for Tom to write a book. And so uh that that's great. We're excited and pleased about that prospect, and anyway you 'll be hearing more about that i 'm sure in the days ahead as Tom gets to work on it also uh, the, uh funds are going to uh, underwrite a uh, a an audiobook of my book Man of the House, and uh, that 's going to be professionally uh, produced it 's going to have you know people you know that are going to actually be hired to help narrate it and it's just, it's, it 's just i 'm looking forward to it it 's going to be great but that's not like the the most exciting thing the most exciting thing of all is there's a there's a significant uh uh gift in, in as part of that larger gift to underwrite a podcast road show that means that the the podcast will be on the road and we we're, we're going to be looking for places to have you know live studio not studio live pug uh, or pub uh for the podcast <laughs> Uh, with a live studio audience, as I said, shows. And, uh, and if you'd like to be, you know, a a host organization, uh, we don't have a lot to share yet about that, but, uh, any, we wouldn't, we can't do it right now anyway, because of COVID and all that kind of stuff. Someday, maybe in a decade or so, the whole COVID thing will be behind us. And then we will go on the road and we're going to finish it off. This is what our hope, this is our dream. We're going to finish it off. We're going to have our last, uh, podcast podcast. Uh, at the Eagle and Child in the UK in Oxford. And Tom will be the uh, master of ceremonies because it'll be like his old stomping grounds and he'll be able old to tell, stomping us all, ground. tell us all about it. <laughs> anyway, it, it's exciting. And, it, and we wanted you to know about that. And we're just going to blab and blab and blab about that for like ever uh, until it actually happens. But you're the first to know. This is the first show that we've been able to say that uh, and not make that announcement uh, about it. Anyway, so that's enough for me. Uh, Tom, it's your day. Uh, what are we talking about? Okay. Well, yeah, it is timely,
2: um, as I, I've been trying to do with certain things, and it's an extension of things we've been talking about recently. But uh, if, if we were just to put one big term out there, the term joy, <laughs> something uh, that, uh, that uh, we all uh, I'll drink to that. Y'all yeah, drink to that. And interestingly, one of the the um, places in the Old Testament where we see the term joy show up is connected with having good wine. So I'm sure it could be extended to having good beer. Um, I'd prefer it to be extended to doing that. Um, but there's there, there's more to it than that. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about in relationship first and foremost to to the Christmas of uh, the story or the announcement of, of certain aspects of the. The, the Christmas story in, in Luke. Um, but then I'm going to talk a little bit about the world into which that idea of Christ coming and joy, um, something about the atmosphere that was going on and what that meant. And then I'll kind of pick at it around um, the atmosphere we live in today, Some, something we would oftentimes think of as very joyless <laughs> um, and there being a lot of uh, ideas um, that t- are tending to, to push their way through our worlds that have anything but joy in them, and not losing sight of one of the riches of our faith that has been given to us um, in, in the most uh, tangible form and spiritual form in Christ. Um, but I want to connect it also to what we were doing um, when we were talking a little while ago about um, the festive and, and the and festivity and feasting. So I want to keep Christmas and and the, the celebrating of it at the heart of this. And then one last thing I want to do is not lose sight of significant people who have reflected on this and and kind of brought it into back into kind of theolo- the theological disciplines. And of course, C.S. Lewis would be one of these um, with his talk "Surprised by Joy" and um, his letters to Malcolm, of course. Um, and so. I'm going to try to weave all that into something coherent. <laughs>
0: right. well, that'll be a joy. It'll be a joy if you can do that. And we will do our best to do <laughs> real right.
2: Well, I always, you know, well, and, and one of the other aspects I do want to get to is friendship. Um, the joy of it uh, that I think we participate in regularly is at the heart of, of the Christian understanding of joy. And that's something that a Thomas Aquinas really brings out. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get there.
0: Um, you know, that, that That's a great thing to reflect on just, just briefly. I think one of the things that appeals to people about our show is we don't have, uh, we, we, we've not bought into the philosophy that, that you got to have a lot of, uh, of sort of, uh, I guess, argumentation in the bad sense to drive the conversation. The, uh, yeah. th- there's this idea that for a show to be, you know, um, you know, something that captures someone's attention, there's got to be conflict, you know, in the, in the the dialogue, you know, in the show. Uh, Whereas I think our show, you know, we have different perspectives and we have different disciplines that we, we reflect on subjects from, but our friendship, I think is, is, is what it, you know, kind of makes the show attractive to lots of folks.
2: Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that, that, let's keep that because that's going to be, that's where I want to at least maybe if we don't end up at least be part of the way, because that, that's very central um, to what like Aquinas reflected on when he's talking about the joy we've been given in Christ is that that at the heart of the Christian understanding of the joy and peace um, is friendship with God, which it in its, in its most um, concrete creaturely form is, is Christian friendship and, and, uh, and friendship not in the kind of, oh, we just have a set of common interests. But just like you said, you can have a whole wide variety of interests that don't always overlap, but that, that center in the joy that is Christ allows for these things to, to enhance um, that joy and share it, spread it, um, but also it brings about something like you just said, where you can have, you can have a substance and content without conflict and it, and it, and it needn't, needn't move to that disharmony. Right. Right. Um, so maybe the best place to begin is with just uh, what uh, you'll be preaching on this Sunday is a li- couple excerpts from Luke. Um, and, and for those who, uh, who have been prepping for the season, um, you've probably heard it enough, but I just want to highlight a couple of points. Um, I'm reading out of Luke's gospel, picking up with eight, uh, uh, verse eight. Um, in the same region, there were some shepherds, These supposedly these right here, <laughs> right. <laughs> staying, out, staying out in fields and keeping watch over flock by night. Um, and we don't need to lose the sense of night. I think it was a regular night on the one hand, but there is also a dark night uh, going on there. Right. And, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be assigned to you. Um, There you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now i mean if you if you think first of all in the world into which this is going with, and, and Chris is doing a sermon on it, so he could probably help uh, unpack that there's a lot of significance going on there, and the imagery um, and the 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 whole notion of a Messiah being born and all that is going on here but it 's that connection that you have between here is great news: a savior is born here's a sign um, this one 's born in a manger. <laughs>
1: Um and suddenly there um, uh, mm-hmm. um a, a couple of quick historical notes here mm-hmm. I dug up a couple of years ago that I found really interesting that I think answers the significance of what's going on there in a lot of ways that Athanasius would approve of. Um <laughs> the um the word that's translated in there's no room at the end. Yeah. It doesn't really mean in. It, well, it can mean in, but it's not the word that's used in the New Testament for in. Instead, it's the word that's used for the upper room. Oh, interesting. And frequently, uh, they think that this was used as bridal chamber, you know, mm. or restroom. So the idea would be that Joseph and Mary came and the upper room was occupied. Now, one would think that a nine-month pregnant woman would bump whoever was up there in terms of needing the space. Hmm. But that didn't happen. Hmm. I right. think it's because Mary's pregnancy was something of a scandal.
0: Yeah, that's, 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 that's a, that's a good, good supposition. It's, a, I think, a reasonable one.
1: But it gets, it gets uh, more interesting. The shepherds were typically from the tribe of Levi around Bethlehem. Lambs only five miles from Jerusalem and the lambs that were raised there were raised for sacrifice. And so what would happen is when a ewe was going to give birth, they took them to a cave which was kept ceremonially clean, ritually clean, and the lambs were born there. And when they were born, they were inspected, and if they were without blemish, they were wrapped in swaddling cloth prevent them from injuring themselves as they were starting to walk and those kinds of things.
0: Hmm.
1: I think that when it talks about Mary and Joseph, the people who point out the upper room thing frequently will say, well, they were just downstairs with the family. I don't think so. I think that they, they left and they went to the one shelter that they could find that was clean, which was these birthing caves. And so, and so when Jesus was born, he was swaddled either in the cloth that was used to wrap the lambs, mm. or Jews in this day, when they traveled, would wrap bandages, basically, around their waist as they traveled. Because the law said that when you died, you had to be buried promptly. Mm. And they used this as a burial shroud mm. in case they died uh, accidentally on a trip which would mean that the other possibility beside the cloth used to swaddle the lambs is Joseph's shroud. Oh, wow. And then when the, when the now think about that context that when the angel says, this is going to be the sign for you. You're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Where are those shepherds going to think about swaddling clothes in mangers? In the birthing cave. That's how they knew where to go
2: and and there's a, there's something I think
1: rich that is is pulled out in that too. The Theological it's, dimensions of it are just huge, and, and yet we completely ignore it because we like the narrative. Well, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm.
2: And and I think what you see, and this is another part I'm gonna I'm kind of moving toward, is that this joy um, and this peace is um, unable to be removed. From suffering and sacrifice. In other words, it's not an escapist type of joy. And even at the where Christ, who can can be fully mindful of what's ahead of him, can be at a wedding feast celebrating, right? And 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 so this this kind of joy, this kind of peace, um, it has has its it is is held in grip by um, the eternal god who is the source of all that and is able to provide it and supply it in with and through any kind of tragedy any kind of suffering any kind of resistance um evil resistance to it any kind of cross um, death itself um and, and and interestingly i i don't want to go too off this corner but it there's that, that that note in, in, the, in the Gospels where after Christ um, says, Father, not my will but yours be done, there's that small phrase, he, the joy was set before him. He saw the, the cross as an as aspect of joy. And this is something I don't want to get lost, but I think that's to the information you give in the sense that the sacrificial and and the redemptive And the joy are not in conflict here, but they are part of the whole gift um, that we're being given by this kind of uh, Savior.
0: There's also a kind of, uh, I guess, a a foreshadowing of uh, Christ uh, giving Himself for us in the setting, uh, the the placing of the child in the manger. And manger uh, is, you know, comes from the Latin for eat. And uh, I just did a quick check on the Greek and the Greek means the same thing. This is one of those marvelous, you know, occurrences where the Latin and the Greek actually, you know, the, the words are literally the same thing. It means to eat. So he's put into the manger. Now, when when we say the word manger, we have the images in our minds because we've seen enough, you know, uh, you know, seen, we've seen the nativity scene enough to, see, to know that that's Play, it's a it's an eating trough for animals, but uh, I don't think it really strikes you that way when you look at it. You just think, oh well, it's a crib. But even the word crib, <laughs> you know, can be can mean that. And so uh, here we have the food from God given to the world. This is uh, hmm. this is you know unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know this this is imagery that Christ uh, has pr- provided to us concerning himself and his body. And uh, here we have Christ in the, in the opening scene, you know, he's placed in the manger as, you know, the place where the food is, is, is set.
2: <laughs> and and that's, that's another thing that is going to come out. This is, this is great because this is the kind of threads I was, I was reflecting on, is another notion that we have going on, um, oftentimes conflicts with the interpretation of Christianity that, that, you know, the modern world and the postmodern world is given um, because they always put the emphasis on um, Christians basically being the worst kind of Platonists, um, those that, you know, or Gnostics that are world-denying, um, moving away from the vitality of life and, and the senses. And here you have the exact opposite. You have the eternal... Entering into time in the most tangible way, a baby, fleshed, but also that you have, you know, food and drink, right? Um, my, this bread is real food indeed, and, and my body is real food indeed. And all these things are part of a feast and celebrating and joy. And so this kind of joy has tabernacled, has come into to our dark setting, if you will. Um, as, as John's gospel says, um, the light that illumines all things, um, has, has come and dwelt among us. And the interesting thing is in that world in which the, the one group probably who would have caught the meaning of this in the joy of this right away, or should have, are been, would have been the ones for whom the, you know, the covenant people of Israel, and yet they do not receive them, but to those that do, gives the, you know, um, the joy of becoming children of God. But what you have going on there is this, this way in which, um, this reversible reversal of expectation, um, the pagan world, if we could call it, you know, that, um, was at this time often looking for contra to Nietzsche, um, a very, an escape from this world. If they weren't, you know, they weren't the, the, the happy, group um indulged in in joy in this world they were looking to get out of it um and here you have a savior and joy coming right into it being able to carry with it all of that eternal joy but bring it right down into a sacred family and so you you have a reversal and i think this is something you see uh c.s lewis kind of picks up with his um A little clip from his letters to Malcolm, um, where he's kind of talking about, uh, you know, oftentimes we think of sort of that the life of heaven, you know, really couldn't bear any analogy to play or dance in respect to, um, you know, the frivolous, right? And he kind of makes this quote. He goes, I do think that while we are in this valley of tears, cursed with labor, hemmed round with necessities, tripped up with frustrations, doomed with perpetual plannings, puzzlings and anxieties, certain qualities that must belong to the celestial condition have no chance to get through. In other words, joy in its eternal sense. And this is, I think, a fair and more honest looking at the world in which Christ came into, and and our world in many ways, um, that this can project no image of themselves except in activities which for us seem frivolous. For surely we must suppose the life of the blessed to be an end in itself, indeed the end, to be utterly spontaneous, to be the complete reconciliation of boundless freedom with order, right? That's the gospel, the truthfully enact the creatureliness we have in full communion with God and the most delicately adjusted, supple, intricate, and beautiful order. But this is the great quote. How can you find any image of this in the serious activities, either of our natural or our present spiritual life, either our perceptions and heartbroken affections are of heartbroken affections or in the way, which is always to some degree, the way of the cross. He goes, No, Malcolm, it is only in our off hours, only in our moments of permitted festivity, that we find an analogy. Dance and game are frivolous, unimportant down here, for down here is not their natural place. Here they are moment they are a moment's rest from life. We were placed here to live. But in the world, in this world, everything is turned upside down. That which, if it could be prolonged here, would be a truancy, is likest that which in a better country is the end of ends. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And so I think what he's on to is all the stuff that seems frivolous and, you know, bah humbug, um, is actually, the reason it is, is because it really, its place isn't here. Its place is the eternal. And yet it's the eternal that brings it here right into Tangibility in its fullest form in Christ—that—that um, that, um, really makes uh, part of all things and what we were paid for.
0: Yeah, you're kind of cut up there a little bit, uh, Tom. Um, can you re- just repeat that last statement?
2: Um, yeah, I, I, I think the last statement was that that which seems out of place here other than just a relaxation from the moment um, is actually seems out of place in compared to everything else we're supposed to be doing because its place isn't here. Its place is heaven. Right. And right. So, so, so that the festivity in the Sabbath, as we've talked about before, and the reception of the gift of life and its orientation to eternal life um, is our participating in a very small taste, a sign, an analogy of what we're made for, the joy which is heaven's business.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that people struggle with is uh, knowing uh, kind of how to relate uh, work and rest and, uh, and sort of this rhythm. Because when we talk, what I hear you describing in terms of festivity uh, and dance and so forth. Is really in the spirit of rest, and yeah. and I think that when we think about uh, the Sabbath, I think perhaps uh, we've got I don't know uh, church lady dourness in mind when we think about the Sabbath. It's just you know don't do that, don't do this, that kind of thing, and we lose yeah. touch with with how the Sabbath is supposed to be a time for us to to look up and to. Uh, enter into something grand and, and eternal and really the, the, the joy of heaven, the business of heaven, as you said. Now, yeah. uh, the fear that, that you know, you've got, I think that some people have, is that if you, if you so, I guess, um, you know, sort of set apart what we just described from the rest of life, then the rest of life becomes drudgery. Or yeah. uh, it becomes, you know, simply a uh, um, some kind of punishment that we have to kind of endure. And I think one of the things that the reformers hoped for was uh, a sense of, how, you know, they want. They, I think that they wanted to see the the mundane, which means, you know, the you know, things that relate to this world, caught up into heaven. There was a kind of or heaven coming down in a sense. Uh, hmm. And the, you know, having a sense of the eternal in the mundane, yeah, so that yeah. so that the things that you're that you're uh, you know the, the stuff the stuff of everyday life is not insignificant. Uh, it has it 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 finds its significance in heaven. Um, yeah. But then, if you try to so uh, you know amenitize the eschaton, so to speak, if you try to take yeah. all of the stuff of daily life and yeah. say this is all there is, then you, you lose heaven, and you lose the joy, and you lose, you know, yeah. so, so there's this, this challenging task that we have of sort of keeping them this distinct, but also bringing them together. Does that make sense? It's yeah. Well,
1: I, I actually wanted to take this in a bit of a different direction. Lewis's definition of joy, which he gives in Surprised by Joy, is a little bit counterintuitive um Mm. actually the word that comes to mind is bizarre Um, (laughs) he he, uh describes joy in terms of getting getting a glimpse of something and longing for it and wanting it um this is very very romantic kind of notion yeah Um, longing or, or, or wanting it, where the longing for it is more desirable than achieving it. Yeah, that, what's the German word for that? Sunsuch, do think? Of Zen zuft. Zen, Zen. Zucht. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, um, w- when, when he talks about heaven and joy being the serious work of heaven, he says that the things that we do in this world at best, give us only a glimpse of this joy, but that glimpse is not found in the serious work of earth. Mm-hmm. So, what that that I think illuminates a little bit of what he was saying in "Surprised by Joy." What what he describes as joy in that book is the kind of joy that you cannot experience in this world, except at a distance, except at a glimpse that will find its fulfillment in heaven. Yeah. I think that that's the thing that brings the two of them together.
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and I think he, he yeah, he, he, he really picked up on also, I mean, the romantics were just taking what classic Christians talked about is our, our, desi- our created desire for the eternal. But what Calvin said, we have a sense of divinity. In us, right? We distort it, we suppress it, and all this. But the proof of religion is is testimony that we have this sense for something um, that we we can't get a hold of, and we yet we want to possess, and we try to create things we can possess in the place of that which can't be possessed. The the, the um, you know the true God, and so yeah, I mean that that kind of gets connected into that romantic. Uh, vision that was very attractive at the time of Lewis in contrast to the hard materialism and the the scientism that, that was kind of dominating there, even the literary field. Um, But I I think, yeah, I mean, I think there are things going on there that are legitimate to, to um, to, in, in the sense that um, what we have, is an announcement good news the savior has come and and there is a sharing in this and yet it, it isn't the fullest sense of sharing it is something that i mean christ has ascended and sits at the right hand of the father so in the spirit um we we participate in that but it's not the kind of participation we'll have in as in glorification um and so so that sense there is a um there is an incompleteness to it, even though there is a fullness there in which we are truly encountering joy itself, even though we're not possessing it. And it's, it's, it is more evocative of, of, of our loves. I think it is, it is part of sanctification in, in that because we, we, we are, um, because joy itself, um, Calls us into a a deeper um, desire for it. Um, as we pursue it in the spirit, we, we are actually liberated in ways to 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 desire it above all things. Um, and then our loves get get kind of positioned the right way from that, because what happens then is we are, as Lewis said, we're not seeking the container. <laughs> of that love as if it's the love itself we're not seeking that little box his brother made with the garden in it and thinking that that is joy itself but recognizing that 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 too is a real place at which that joy has uh, come to me
0: um yeah no. So, no yeah. When, we, when we think about that that experience that he's referring to with the garden the box garden and uh the characters that he and his brother you know you know uh, wrote about and dreamed about and and imagined um, what he describes as joy. As as you know, Glenn is something that I could relate to. I don't know uh, if uh, I, there's no way I can say with ab, you know absolute uh, con, you know certainty that what I experienced is exactly what he experienced. But when he described his experience of joy, I said to myself, I know what he's talking about. I can remember episodes in my life, things in my life. It wasn't the box garden. It was maybe looking at a tree on a, a beautiful spring day in western Pennsylvania. or But there was a sense that I had of, of longing, but uh, the longing itself was sweeter than the satisfactions of the world, if you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. It, it directed me upward. Now, when I, when I think about it, uh, it wasn't as though um, – you know in that moment i was thinking of christ on the cross or you know the 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 promise of the spirit at pentecost or something like that <laughs> it, it yeah. in fact it was uh if you know when i think about it it was more a kind of a sense of the infinite i don't know if that makes sense um, but mm-hmm. the boundless um, now i know there are dangers in you know when, you know it, you know with that idea but but that's really kind of what I experienced. There was a sense of, uh, like, I remember, remember that song that I think a Barbra Streisand sung. I think it was Barbara Streisand. On a clear day, you can see forever. Um, mm. There's, there's something about that song that kept, that sort of evokes in in my, for me that that that, uh, and it's not really quite right to call it an experience if you know what I mean. Yeah, I had I had the experience of just drinking a, a you know a glass of beer. I've I had an experience. I was. <laughs> had the experience of, you know, uh, spending an hour outside uh, blowing snow out of my driveway. Uh, You know, experience, you know, in that sense is – it's in a whole different category uh, from what I'm talking about here. And it seems to me that unless you've had that, unless you have seen what Lewis describes in some place, in some way, I don't know if you can understand anything else that Lewis says – so, like, like when I when I come across as you know statements that are dismissive of Lewis by people like Anne Rand or something like that, I think, well, of yeah. course, you know, uh, if you ever had that, ex- if you ever had the experience that Lewis had, Ayn Rand, you've either so suppressed it or perverted it that you have no sense of it anymore, or you've never yeah. had it. Yeah, you, know, you, yeah. See, you see what I'm saying?
2: Well, and, and I think that's what he, he he I think he finds in it is that uh, when you've had it. I mean, there's nothing like it. <laughs> um, it becomes incomparable. He said, even happiness is not not a good good right. word for. It. Right. And um, and I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, different theologians through the years often reflected on some of this. Sense is just a part of. I mean, it, even without faulting Schleiermacher, I think his sense of absolute dependence is trying to get at something like that. That there there is a sense of creatureliness that that we can bump up against what it means to be a creature sometimes. Um, even in a fallen, broken world where if we didn't have Christ to read it right, we, we at least can bump up and, and, and be, be caught up in wonder about the, the, the fact that we're creatures and we're part of this, this creation. And, and I think this is where even, this is why you can have celebration in all, almost every culture, even ones that have never heard the gospel, because there is a sense of its gift even if it's, it's, it's not related to the right way and it's been distorted, um, that plays into that. Um, and and I think that, that this is one of those things. So you can have the, ge- the general creaturely encounter with um, the creation and its relation to the creator and, and get a, a certain glimpse of joy. And then what we have here is, I think, you know, it is... Is something going on that where um, we have a message, an announcement. This is great news, everyone. Um, probably the most profound news, actually the most profound news that will ever be uttered, <laughs> ever.
0: Yeah. Now, now, so which implies that there's some kind, there's there's some some content, and yeah. we're not just talking about um, an emotional sort of response, not something that's sort of welling up from the passions. I think sometimes when, when you talk about experience and you talk about joy, people who maybe have had a kind of a bad, maybe had a bad experience with, with uh, manipulative preaching by in certain, you know, traditions, maybe revivalist or Pentecostal traditions (laughs) where they try to work up something that's not actually there, or they just, they try to substitute an emotional euphoria for what we just described, this, this is something that's more, well, it's not cerebral in the sense of ratio. It's intellectus, you know, it's beholding, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. what, it's what, you know, uh, Pieper is talking about in Leisure The Basis of Culture. There's a sense in which we, we are taking into the glance without yeah. the kind of discursive reasons, just sort of like laboriously sort of figuring out or, or spelling out some doctrine or, or drawing, draw, you know, drawing some conclusion based on some observations that we see in the world about, I don't know, the orderliness of things and how that proves the existence of God. What we're talking about is what the angels uh, experience uh, as they are in the presence of God. They're not out to prove God's existence. They're not working from right. secondary causes to to back to the first cause. They're beholding the first cause.
1: <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah. 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 They're being
2: invited into, into a beholding.
1: Glenn, you had something. To... Yeah. Um, my experience, I, I'm with you, Chris. I, I, when I read Lewis, I understood instantly what he was talking about because I had my own kind of experiences with it, although I would never have described him in the language that he used. Um, for me, it, it, here's going to be a real shock to you. For me, when I think of the experience, the word that comes to my mind is enchantment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I remember about it was it, it, it was this one specific experience I'm thinking about. Um, it was an absolute wonder. I was, you know, I, I was seeing a world I don't think, I, well, I had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And it felt simultaneously like you know this is this is real this is here but and i'm and i'm participating in i'm right there but there's was also somehow a sense that it was evanescent it wasn't going to last it was going to yeah it, and and in a lot of ways you know i have to this day i want to go back there yeah 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 you know it so so that connects to lewis but it also connects to our shepherds. Because mm-hmm. The shepherds have this incredible experience with the angels. They have this incredible experience seeing the one who has been promised for centuries in the most improbable of all places. And they have this experience of seeing him and worshipping him, and then they've got to go take care of their sheep. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Time to go back to the scene. And, and interestingly, <laughs> they do it glorifying and praising God, which is interesting that right. their task has now been
1: infected with that. <laughs> right. But my, my bet is that they felt that same feeling of distance and longing for that event again afterwards.
0: Well, you know, Moses, uh, his face was illuminated by the glory of God, but it faded away. There's a sense in which yeah. um, these experiences have what you just described, Glenn. Uh, you know this transitory character. You know, and then we spend the rest of our lives kind of looking back at them. But if I think if we if we look at them in the in the way that Lewis is you know encouraging us to to look at them, they're actually foretastes, right? I mean, they're they're mm-hmm. we should be looking forward, not backward. Uh, we mm-hmm. shouldn't be thinking about that experience that I had at whatever the place was, uh, maybe that was actually a look forward, even at that moment.
2: Yeah, well, I I think that's, I think that's exactly, you know, part of the the heart of it. I mean, even in this, I mean, we have the announcement, this is good news of great joy. And this is a sense of what joy is going to be present, and peace, in a way that it wasn't before. Now, it's not, it may not be all the more, you know, enhanced encounters, but it is going to be something present in in God's unique presence that has come in Christ and and in the spirit. And one of the two things in that text we often miss is when they heard these things, the the family, the people involved, uh, they wondered, okay? It sparked wonder. And I think both of of what you were talking about is this. This is what that does, isn't it? Um, That that creates a, a world of enchantment and wonder. And the other thing is, and then Mary pondered these things in her heart. This is not pietism. This is contemplation right this is this is and this is where this is where i think you start to see what this this beautiful mystery of joy brings us it is to we are to be brought into the wonder of knowing god in in this way in which he's come right into our into our midst become one um with us in his humanity and has redeemed it and brought us into the deepest union with god and that's exactly the direction it goes is that this joy um, finds its completion in communion with God. And so the contemplative vision of Christian faith is that um, we don't stop merely at the stepping stones, but, but they point us to our eternal state with God. Um, and again, this is not a leaving of the earth, earthly. It's actually the way in which the earthly is an analogy of and, and, uh, and a festivity of um, our relation to God eternally.
0: Right and yep. uh, um, yeah, one th- thing I was going mm-hmm. go ahead well I just just briefly that's that phrase pondered these things in her heart that's a way of putting it that no one today would would think of you yeah. know, uh, we don't think of the heart as a as a place uh, into which the mind descends. Sense. we think of yeah. it as a kind of uh, if we have any uh sense of uh uh, the problem at all. We think about the passions as being things that draw us away from important things. And those passions are springing up from our appetites and maybe we love them too much. Uh, but also um, I think that some people uh, consider the, the heart to be somehow, uh, you know, it, you could, you could uh, pollute the heart if you think about it things too much you know you just sort of cherish those things uh, in a kind of autonomous way or in a way that doesn't relate to to the to to thought at all you just sort of you know i i i like what i like and it doesn't matter you know and you don't have to justify it or explain it or even think about it it just is immediately mm-hmm. self sort of uh it's 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 self-authenticating you know, use that term. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and we don't have to, um, in fact, we, the only, the only way the the only job of the mind is to sort of get it, get more of what you want. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's interesting because he, he, also the text says, Mary
2: treasured all these things. Yeah. Um, And, and so there, there is a place at which these things um. Are to be treasured, uh, um, you know the 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 form in which they've come, um, but there is a deepness to them, something we ponder, and and that that's I mean it's it's exactly yeah that effective knowing is what Calvin often called it is, is knowledge of God is nothing if it if it isn't something that that uh, that brings the whole of us the heart um, into it so the, yeah there isn't a split between. Um, you know, that, which Lewis was trying to address between, you know, knowing, knowing that and knowing in, in the kind of way or what he describes, what it, what is it? um, What is his, 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 uh, reflections on, um, I'm trying to think it's the one on the toolbox. What, it what, I can't think of the title of it right now. Um, but anyway, where he's talking about going out into the, the tool shed. Oh, okay. Yeah. It sees a beam of light, right? Right, right, a, right. There's a looking at and, and a looking through, you know, with mm-hmm. and in. Right. Um, and, and this, I don't think is, is the classic way of knowing. And this is something that I think Mary's captivation, wonder, treasuring and pondering mm-hmm. um, are, are are certainly a, a counter way of thinking about what we do with this, these things. Um to, to switch a little direction, um, I was reading a little bit of uh, Nicholas Lash's little book, Believing. Uh, it was, it's a reflection on the, on the creeds, and he was talking specifically about Christ, and he says, good news brings delight. It brings joy. Um, the news in question is God's word, God's self-communication. Um, and, and he says, um, when Aquinas kind of reflected on these things, he talked about it really in, ter- in, in relationship to the word closest um, that, that he knew to this kind of um, joy, and he, he uses the term delight. Um, but he relates, for us to get a taste of what he believes the, the scriptures are teaching about it, is he relates it to the kind of love um, that we have in friendship. And so, and so what he he begins with is the fact that in this good news, this announcement uh, of, of the word becoming flesh um, in many ways, this, this, this could be, you know, if you, if you only knew God as creator, that might not be very good news, right? Because you don't know the intentions of the creator. I mean, they've supplied things, but we don't know much more. Um, If we only knew the prophetic words of judgment, um, having God show up on the scene might not be also very good, (laughs) good news. Um, But part of what this is, is don't be afraid, rejoice, be happy, be glad is that they're showing that God is now coming on the scene to befriend a people, to, to share a communion with them, to restore a communion with them. So that's what makes this joyous and good news. It's a savior, right? To, to restore, the broken relationship that, that humans have. And so right at the heart of this delight is, is this, this relation of friendship um, and friendship is probably not the, the term doesn't have the depth that Thomas is working would, or, or the ancient world would have. Um, so we tend to think of friendship in utilitarian ways or, you know, as we talked about earlier, but not centered in, in this kind of uh, delight in
1: the gift of, of the other. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a particularly American heresy. <laughs> yeah. It suggests that Europeans think of friendship in very different terms, for example. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've been sort of holding in the back of my mind through this entire conversation goes back to the manger. Hmm. The idea of a feast.
2: Hmm.
1: And so think about a feast. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is food but you can get a good meal at a restaurant <laughs> the thing that makes a feast really a feast. It's not, it's the food. Yeah. And that is Christ himself. But it's also the people that we're with. Yeah. Going to a feast alone is boring. Yeah. It's <laughs> depressing. Yeah. So it's the people, it's the friends, it's the family, it's the relationships of the people around you. I would the third thing that I think would be important here, particularly as you're looking at something like a wedding feast mm-hmm. is, well, cele- celebratory activities, <laughs> music, dance, things like that, uh, which are the things that Lewis points to as tokens of joy.
0: Hmm. I just uh, was reading uh, Smith of Witten majors, Tolkien's, uh, Short story. The last thing I think it was last thing that he published, and I've got this uh, this edition that really is a just a uh, just a, a wellspring of of uh, scholarship because not only is there a you know a, a copy of the story, but there's the there's the unpublished uh, introduction. To George MacDonald's uh, *The Golden Key*, which inspired Tolkien to write *Smith of Wootton Major*, and then there's a number of other things. And, and one of the things is an, is a uh, an undelivered, uh, an undelivered. I believe it was a, a lecture on *Smith of Whitton Major* with all of the ancillary notes and sort of background material that 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 Tolkien had created. To, to write the story. So so with it, it appears that Tolkien couldn't write, even write a short story without a, a thorough sort of legendarium behind the scenes. <laughs> so <laughs> if you've read the story, you know that the story is about, about a boy who goes to a, a feast, <laughs> in the, in, and the feast is the feast of the good children, and there are little trinkets in the cake that uh, the, the, the master cook has, has uh, baked, and uh, one of those trinkets is a face star. And there's a boy <laughs> who consumes the face star and uh, the face star uh, is hiding in, in his body. And then at a later time, he spits it up. And then it, uh, without even thinking, he slaps his forehead and, and the star is embedded onto his forehead. But it's something that you can't really see unless you have insight, unless you have an ability to see something from Fairy, yeah but anyway, uh, sort of the the thing that's at the center of this is this feasting hall, hmm. and Tol- Tolkien in the story doesn't tell you much about it, but this is one of those rare instances where Tolkien actually, you know, through, with all this background material, explains exactly what it is. It's a church, you know. What he has in mind is a church, and the master cook is the priest or the parson, and the feast is what is being consumed by the work the celebrants the people who are coming to church. Now none of this is explicit this is all if i were if i were to t- to say this is my interpretation of smith the wit the major you'd say Wiley, that's just fanciful thinking you're reading all kinds of stuff into the story. But in fact if you read tolkien's notes he comes out and tells you exactly that. And one of the <laughs> things one of the things he tells you in the story or or in the in his notes remember he's a catholic is that you know in the story we're told that the that the the hall has been is well maintained but the gilding is all gone in other words this is a post-reformation church (laughs) and there's no dancing anymore (laughs) but there's still food being served now so this is a kind of a this is a this is a polemic from Tolkien a potluck it's a potluck well it's it's actually it's it's, it's not there's still the food is still enchanted so okay (laughs) so he's not saying that there's nothing of value yeah. You know, any any longer. But there's something that's been been lost. And it's this festive character quality that you're it's sort of it, the the food is still nourishing, the food is still enchanted, but people aren't celebrating like they should. That's kind of the, the subtext.
1: And, and and I think that oh Glenn, you had something to say. Yeah, here's a little bit of an odd historical tidbit for you. A Noel. <coughs> uh-huh. Noel is the French word, of course, for Christmas. But a Noel is a specific artistic form that included both music, singing, and dance. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, and I believe a lot of the carols were originally probably done that way as well. But, you know, the very concept there points to, to pre-Reformation churches, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's interesting though about this is, is that, you know, uh, in that story, Smith the Wit Major, all those things are there. You know, the festivity, the joy, the children are enchanted. Yes. You know, it's not as though the food, like I said, is not enchanted. There is a fae star in the food. In fact, Alf, the, uh, the apprentice, or what they call prentice in the story, referred to as prentice, is actually the king of Fari. Fe- and he's actually the one who's done all the hard work in making the cake and is the one responsible for decorating it and making it as as attractive and as uh, as uh, enchanted as it was, uh, so there is something to it. Still, even though people maybe not maybe are not able to see it, you know, uh, there's still something there.
2: Yeah, I, and and I think that that you, that also that connection you said that the delighting in, I mean, as festivity and. All, all this extensions of what is being announced in, in, in its most concrete form in Christ, right? Be of great uh, joy, right? This is a moment of the most intense celebration, right? Uh, the center around which is, is this delighting um, in and being able to delight in um, these things again, because they are no longer um, merely left to their decay and to their death but are now able to be celebrated because they are going to participate in their perfection because their Savior has come. And so he, Christ is the center of this joy because Christ is the center of what all these things are about and are celebrating in our, in our enjoyment. And so this is why uh, Lash says a little later, reflecting again on, on what Aquinas says in terms of friendship. He says, um, to hear God's word of life, Um, to take God's utterance to heart, like Mary, right, is to find in all of the creation again, delight, Um, to delight in each other in the light of God in Christ. And then he says a little later, he talks about virtues. He said, all the virtues now, however just, however courageous, however self-effacing, if they lack joy, from a Christian standpoint, cannot be said to be virtuous at all. And so, and he goes on to talk about the way in which the, the, you know, and this is something that all the people who are concerned about the transformation of the world towards justice um, is his notice, notion that um, apart from this God giving kind of love that we have been given in Christ, which allows us to truly delight in proper friendship and, and the proper relating of our loves. Um, this always ends up in the bright kind of transformation of everything. Um, and even in, this, in through all suffering and opposition, um, that that joy and peace, that kindheartedness and generosity um, are never stifled, but, but really bring us to, eventually, our union with God in Christ.
0: We should probably wrap up pretty soon here, but I want to reflect just quickly on, a, on, a, on one thing, and that is the, 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 the podcast network that we belong to, the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. I mean, in our name, you know, we have laughing and feasting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, uh, Glenn, you, you noted uh, when you attended the conference in Nashville that there was a kind of militant joy. I, I think that's the term you used.
1: That's the phrase I used.
0: Yeah, and I've experienced that in some churches. And, w- and what comes to mind here, see, one of the things, one of the reasons why I'm not a high churchman is because so many things that I've experienced in that world, whether we're talking about Anglo-Catholic churches, you know, Episcopal, you know, in, you know churches in the United States, but Anglo-Catholic in kind of the Cardinal Newman-esque sense, you know, the Tractarian stuff, is there a, they're a feat, and they're a little bit too prissy you know, for, for me. What I, what, I, what, I'm, uh, what I delight in is something closer to the Hall of Bjorn, you know, in The Hobbit, you know, (laughs) where you've got, you know, uh, we just went out and we slayed a bunch of orcs and we're, we're going to have a great time regaling one another with our tales of bravado. And, and speaking of virtue, virtus, manliness, right? Yeah. Uh, is, uh, you know, so there's a kind of manly joy, manly celebration. And, you know, when I think about Some of the churches that I've been a part of that I think really do have this the spirit of what I've just described, there is a kind of virility to the joy and the feasting, Uh, and it doesn't have that lacy, frilly, uh, effete character or quality that effeminacy that that I find distasteful. Um, I, I think that if we're going to call people to what we're talking about here, I think that we need to recover this more virile cast of mind, the sort of experience of joy. Uh, if we're going to do anything more than play dress up, I hope I don't sound too dismissive and, and sort of, um, I don't know. You, you get my point. <laughs> There goes our Episcopalian. <laughs> well, I want you to know my mother was an Anglo-Catholic and I was an altar boy as a kid, so I know, I know what I'm talking
1: about. <laughs> you know, the, the interesting thing about that, if you compare that to what I saw at the FLF conference, what you have there is a bunch of people who know what they believe, who are absolutely firm in their convictions, who will stand up for them in front of anybody. And who are just full of joy and, and kind of delight, not just because of their relationship with Christ, that's fundamental. but also, they just enjoy standing up and, you know, not having to apologize, not having to worry about offending people just simply standing up for the truth and living it and they're just find a, a it seems to me a huge degree of freedom in that and in that freedom you find that kind of joy
0: yeah yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah.
1: and it's and
2: and it is a you know um, it it is something that i think you see pr- properly you know related to probably the core text in scripture romans 8 38 39 is that when you know in Christ that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principal, nothing can separate you from the love and joy of this God. It's what uh, David Bentley Hart in his Better Days said, <laughs> that although the pagan world may have glimpsed it here and there, there's one thing that, that, that only comes with Christ, and that's this deep and imperturbable joy. And I think that really is what uh, what uh, is worth, running out into the fields
0: and glorifying God about. That's a great place to call, uh, you know, call us to a close here. I think that's a, that's appropriate. And, and, and this will be, uh, uh, yeah, published, uh, this will post on the Monday before Christmas. So, uh, we, uh, wish you all in podcast land a Merry Christmas. And, uh, Merry we're Christmas, very glad yeah. that, uh, we can be, uh, well, with you uh, in this way, even though we're not physically present with you, uh, we're glad that uh, you've invited us uh, into your headphones or into your home or into your car or wherever you listen to this. And uh, we, we are very grateful for that. And uh, it fills us with a kind of joy. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks again, folks, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right. Bye bye.
1: Ho, <laughs> ho,